0: Stuck inside my life in this quarantine house A light up being at a tunnel isn't inside
1: episode, please consider making a donation to the podcast via Venmo to the username at NQCATX. Hello and welcome to Next Quest Podcast, where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. I am your host, Noah S. Garcia, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. Today, I welcome to the show, Sarah Sloan, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Associate, supervised by Claudia Thompson, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist Supervisor, and ASEC Certified Sex Therapist, who will be talking about her work in an area of specialty, sex therapy with couples. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
0: Thank you. It's it's nice to be here. So tell us, what are your credentials and experience? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, so I did my uh, MAC uh, at St. Ed's, uh, St. Edwards in Austin. Um I have worked at enhancing intimacy. I've worked at Respark and I also have my own practice, uh Austin Concierge Therapy.
1: Very cool. Um, so at Austin Concierge Therapy, do you accept insurance? If so, which ones? If not, why not?
0: So I don't accept insurance at this time. Um reason being uh actually it's kind of a funny story i um i used to take uh, my kids to a therapist and i remember our insurance retroactively denying uh months worth of bills and i just thought oh my gosh you know it was horrible it it disrupted the relationship with the therapist and the kids and it you know left both of us kind of well, okay who's gonna hold this giant bill now um right and, and so that's the reason but i do I do to accept health savings cards and I am happy to, you know, provide the paperwork to file to, so people can file on their own.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. I know. I, I know exactly what you're talking about regarding the retroactive denying. And then the therapist, I know me as the therapist, I feel awful about then going to the client and being like, Hey, you kind of owe $600. and yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, it, it's, it's not cool. And then also, you know, you have, um, you know, plans reset at certain points during the year, depending on the plan, right? At which time somebody may owe the deductible, um, but you're not notified that they meet their deductible Instead, like, then you have to go and balance your books and then issue refunds. And it's just a lot to keep track of, especially when you have a lot of clients. So totally hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so at your practice, do you have a reduced fee or a sliding scale available to clients?
0: I do. Um, I would say probably almost a third to half um, are sliding at some level. Um, You know, I I slide as low as as 75, depending on the circumstance. And I I work on an honor system. You know, I I definitely, um, you know, if there's a a divorce or, you know, if someone's lost their job, I, I also will continue to see clients in those situations for free. Um, and I just trust them to let me know when the situation changes. And that way I can give that, that slot to somebody else.
1: That's awesome. That's exactly how I operate too. Um, so do you have weekend or evening appointments available?
0: So I, I usually do evenings uh, up till seven and I occasionally will do weekends. I tend to save um, my weekend slots either for um, bigger you know, polygroups. Just because it's it's hard for three or four people sometimes to, right. to find time during the week. Um, or if I, if I just get overbooked and I need to get in some, um, you know, maybe uh, like family histories, relationship histories, sometimes I'll do those on the weekend as well.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Um, so is being a therapist your first career, if not, what was?
0: <laughs> Gosh, so I was actually, uh, no, it was not my first career, um, but it's really funny because it was I was debating between the two. So um, my first career, I, I was actually an English professor or a, a writing professor. I, I taught um, writing at Texas Tech, at Marymount Manhattan University um, in New York City, and then at Columbia University in New York. And, and so I, I did a lot of work. Um, it crossed actually with... Uh, women's and gender studies. Um, and so a lot of the courses I I taught, for instance, like at Columbia in the university writing program would have um, maybe a, a women's gender studies slant or, you know, a focus on identity theory, um, you know, because it would it would cross sort of philosophy with writing mm-hmm. with literature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and character
1: I, development too. Like, exactly. you know, I see how that all intertwines.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it all kind of, kind of fit together. Um, and then I was a, a professional writer for a little while as well.
1: Awesome. Um, what drew you to being a therapist?
0: You know, um, a lot of things, I guess. Um, you know, I think maybe the catalyst was some of the work I, I did in the Me Too movement. Um, it, I, I, I wrote a piece kind of at the very beginning, and I, I just got such a huge response. I... I thought, wow, I I wish I could do more to, to help. Um, And, and so that, that was, that was a big piece of it. Um, You know, also I had um, moved from teaching to being a writer and I, I missed the interaction with individuals, you know, with my students. And, and so I wanted to get back to something where, you know, there was just more interaction. It wasn't just me writing on my own, you know, in my room or at a coffee house.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. How has it been? So are you seeing clients in person now or are you working from home?
0: No. So right now I'm still working from home. Um, You know, I I have some autoimmune conditions. And so with everything right now, um, you know, I just, I haven't, I haven't gone back. My plan was actually to go back in August and it, it just, with the new Delta variety didn't happen. <laughs> so right now everything is, is online, but I, I do in fact have an office, you know, someday I'll okay. get back to it, I guess.
1: Cool. Cool. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What are your hobbies, interests, TV shows you're watching music, you listen to pets, kids, you know, etc.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm really more of a homebody. Um, I, I love, actually cooking from scratch. Um, I, I kind of got into that. My, my son's got um, something called F pies. It's a rare disease, but it really limits, you know, what he's able to eat. So, you know, like he can't have dairy or soy, which, you know, soy oh, yeah. is everything. So yeah. I, I started to play around with recipes. And and so, you know, funny enough, the weekends I have off, I, I kind of spend my time cooking um, just for fun. And you know that said, I've got three kids, um, two two of my own, one uh, a stepson, um, and I do a lot with them. We're, we're a big karate family, uh, so a lot of martial arts. Um, and then I've got uh, a fat little dog named Naya. We got her at um, that's <laughs> Alive, and sometimes you can hear, uh, especially nowadays, you know that she's with me. Some she likes to snore and. She, she kind of talks. She's an old lady, so she makes a lot of little growly sounds, so, you know, occasionally you might hear her in the background.
1: That's so funny. Yeah, y'all, my our listeners may hear my dog, too. Her name's Batty. She is, as far as I can tell, a, a Chihuahua-German Shepherd mix. Um, she is cool. the sweetest thing in the world. So cute, but also can be so very noisy sometimes. <laughs> Luckily, right now she's laying in her bed. But right. I'll show you a picture of her later because I know you're gonna have a mental image now and you're gonna wanna know.
0: <laughs> oh, I <laughs> actually I sense. really I'm very curious now. Chihuahua and German shepherd, that that sounds absolutely amazing. When you
1: see her, it'll make sense. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Good. Um
1: okay. So, like you said you like you're a homebody. Um what do you really like? What do you do? The most that you enjoy at home,
0: you know, um, gosh, you know, we sometimes play board games. Honestly, Clue. Uh, my kids, we, we we got the the Disney version. We are we are Disney fans over here. Cool. Um, you know, so so a lot of board games, um, a lot of just kind of nature walks around the neighborhood. We we've got some nature trails out by our house, so you know, that, that's kind of how we've been getting out. Um, you know, we love the lakes, I guess we, we have a boat, we take that out sometimes too. And that's a a nice way to get out with the, with the kids without, you know, risking too much exposure. Um, so, so that as well, um, something we do a lot.
1: Very cool. Um, do y'all go out on Lake Travis?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We do that. Sometimes we'll, we'll go over, um, you know, some of the little restaurants, pick up food and, uh the, the kids are a lot more adventurous than I am. They like the the water skiing and the what is it? Um wakeboarding, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. wakeboarding and and they're they're amazing. I wish I was their age and I would be I would be all over it.
1: <laughs> no kidding, no kidding. Um yeah, there's so many things that I wanted to do when I was younger that I feel like the the ship has has <laughs> sailed on because. <laughs> Your body just starts feeling different when you get older, you know?
0: (laughs) Oh, I know. I I think it would tell me, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, let's talk about, um, like, therapy you do for a second. What modalities do you draw upon in session with your clients?
0: So it kind of depends um, who I'm working with. Um, I think, you know, I, I am an imago. Therapist, so you know that that kind of pulls on you know attachment theory, um, communication, empathy. Um, I, I also I can't help it, you know, my background in women's and gender studies. I, I bring in a lot of feminist theory, you know, working on you know power and control, and I, I think those work really well, um, especially when you're working with relationships. So I, I do a lot of couples work and. And I feel attachment and then power and control. I mean, that's, that's a whole lot of it. Um, Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. Right there. Um, So, so yeah, I think, I think those are probably the, the two main ones that I kind of pull in. Okay.
1: So besides the obvious, what makes sex therapy with couples different from just couples therapy and how might your approach differ in the two?
0: So if I if I have couples coming in just for, you know, issues around communication, um, I, I do a lot of Imago and then I, I will weave in sometimes elements from Gottman. Like I, I love using the cool Horsemen just to kind of illustrate and put a name to some of what's going on. I, I like the 15 minute check ins. Um, you know, I, I occasionally pull in Gottman if we're doing some affair recovery But as far as the modality, more more attachment work in a model. Now, if they're coming in for, you know, more sex work, uh, you know, sex therapy, um, I feel like that comes in, you know, draws in more almost uh, cognitive behavioral work. Um, You know, sometimes it can be more solution-focused therapy. Um, And if I have, I, I feel like a lot of times couples will, want some sex therapy as well um right. you know or it may even be what gets them in the door and then you find out really it's more about communication and connection right. um uh, but it, i don't know if that answers your question
1: yeah no that, that totally did and now i'm curious because i because you said i hadn't i'm not familiar with this term um and i just looked it up and I, I would love if you could actually tell us a little bit about the four horsemen what what and what those are
0: Yeah. So basically, you know, the four horsemen, you know, the criticism, contempt, uh, stonewalling, and oh my gosh, you're going to catch me on the last one. I always forget one out of the four. Um, Defensiveness. Defensiveness. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And so what I'll do is I'll I'll go through those four and kind of give them examples and I'll, I'll ask them to think and I'll say, okay, you know, we all use these sometimes, you know, in looking at those four, which ones do you see yourself using the most? And, and so you can start to identify it and then notice, you know, a lot of times after we do that, I'll say notice over the next week when when you catch yourself starting to, to do one of these, you know, which is it? And, oh, OK, what could we do instead? You know, instead of this, is there is there a better way? Do we need to take uh, do we need to take a break? A lot of times I'll, I'll kind of utilize that piece also from Gottman, the idea that, you know, the time it takes you to make a cup of tea, drink it and come back. Um, and, and I, kind of will sub, you know, okay, why don't you go, you know, play a video game, maybe something, you know, read a couple articles, you know, off, off Apple news, you know, whatever you've got in your feed, or, you know, just scroll on Facebook, you know, and, and set a timer and, you know, come back once you're, once you're no longer activated, once you're not, you know, wanting to stonewall or criticize, you know, or you notice yourself getting defensive, you know, let's take a timeout if that's, if that's occurring.
1: Okay, cool. And I can see where you can weave in Amago within that in terms of like empathy building.
0: Yes. And so, so, so basically I use sort of Gottman to kind of structure things, but then once we get to the conversation, I, I really want them to default to Imago. And, and one of the main techniques, and it's so simple in Imago, and it, it goes with consent. It, it's asking, is is now a good time to have this conversation? Because, you know, I think for a lot of couples, we just assume that our partner's there for us, you know, just like we do when we're little kids with a parent and we just jump right in. And it might not be a time that they're ready to have that conversation, or maybe they've, you know, just had a, a really bad day or something's happened at work. And, you know, by, by asking them if now is a good time, it, it gives them a chance to say no. And, and what I always tell couples, if they're going to say no, then I want you to set a time either later in the day, or, you know, maybe tomorrow um, when you can have this conversation, um, you know, we're not going to just erase it. It's going to happen at some point, but we want to make sure that, that everybody's ready for it, for it to happen.
1: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so what are the three most common issues related to sex that couples like approach you with? What do people specifically seek you out with like for Regarding the most in that
0: context, you know, I think um, I do a whole lot of work with polyamory, um, and so I've I, I feel like probably the thing I see the most, at least over the last year, uh, has been yeah, you know, has been yeah, couples wanting to either either open their relationships up and you know learning how to do that in a safe way or maybe they have just opened up their relationships and they're, they're starting to kind of hit some, you know, speed bumps around, you know, how do we schedule jealousy? You know, maybe they've read some books or they've you know listened to you know podcasts. So they have some terminology and they're like, well, that doesn't really fit me and that doesn't really fit me. And so, you know, we really work on meeting them where they are and creating what they want out of it, you know? Um, you know, I, I had one, you know, not long ago where, you know, they they wanted to open up the relationship, but they only knew the term polyamory, you know, polyamory. And they're like, well, that's not exactly it. You know, and, and so we discussed other terms and the
1: language. Them. Yeah,
0: exactly. And and so then we were able to identify really kind of in two sessions like, oh, OK, you're looking for more of an open relationship, maybe something that would be more akin to, to swinging. You know, right, yeah. and, and, you know, that's very different than polyamory. And so I can see why that would have been really confusing if everything you're reading about open relationships is getting kind of grouped into this one area, which really doesn't fit you. I, I can see why there would be, you know, some, some confusion around what, you know, and I think this is key, you know, it's always what they should be doing. And I always say, well, let's get rid of the should. And right. Figure out what you want.
1: Right. Right. And just for our listeners, you know, I know you and I both know these differences, but what are the differences between polyamory and say, swinging or an open relationship?
0: So, you know, it's different for everybody. So I always, I I hesitate. Consent, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I always hesitate to even label these terms, but the way I tend to conceptualize it is polyamory is often more focused on the relationship you know, and, and sex and sexual intimacy, you know, all of that may, may come along with that. But what makes it different from just being open is that, you know, it, it really is more built on, on, along the lines of maybe dating or friendship or companionship or, you know, friends with benefits, but it's consistent. And it's that consistency and that relationship outside of just sexual contact. I think that, I would say probably distinguishes it from just being open or swinging. You know, a good uh, explanation. Yeah, yeah. So I, I hope that's helpful. You know, whereas yeah. yeah, in in open relationships, you know, it could be, you know, you, you meet somebody, you know, at a bar online. It could, you know, be individual. You know, just hooking up. It could be. It could be swinging. It you know, it could be uh, hot wifing you know, it could look a whole lot of different ways. But I think the difference is you're not getting that kind of mental and emotional connection, at least not on a consistent basis, you know, as opposed to polyamory.
1: Yes, I think that was a very good explanation. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, So it sounds like people wanting to open up their relationship, explore polyamory, um, or just figuring out how to do it the right way that that makes it work, you know. Um, what, what other sorts of issues are common that you work with regarding sex therapy with couples?
0: So I would say the other two big ones um, are either desire discrepancy. Um, I see that come up, especially in couples that have maybe been married for a while, um, where sex has sort of slowed down or perhaps dropped off. And, and usually one partner is wanting a lot more than the other. Um, I also do a lot of work, um, around sexual dysfunction and that could look like ED or vaginismus. or I, I do a lot of, um, work also in for, for survivors of breast cancer. And so, you know, if you've had any sort of medical issues, you know, such as chemo, radiation, you know, even, even surgeries, right. Which have, have caused the, the body to kind of change, how do we get back to having a normal, healthy sexual relationship when things are completely different.
1: Got it. Okay. So one big issue I often see monogamous couples struggle with is reconnecting after an affair. So I have a couple of questions here for you. Um, The first one is how do you go about working through this with a couple? And the second one is what are some common reasons you hear for having an affair or two or
0: three? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, gosh, that goes all over the place. Um, you know, I I tend to meet the couple where they are. And so, you know, um, if they're in a traditional monogamous marriage and, you know, it, they they can't see anything existing outside of that, then I will tend to default to Gottman, uh, the atone, attune, attach. And I do a whole lot of psychoeducation usually doing the first couple sessions just to let them know what they're going to be going through and that this is not an easy and quick process, you know, and that it's going to take a lot of work and that some of this will involve grief work and that, you know, it, it, you know each day may be terrible and then it'll get a little easier and then a little easier. And, you know, over time, you know, we can build back that trust. But I also um, I, I think it's Esther Perel that says, OK, well, the marriage you had up until now is gone. So we're, we're going to start over. And, you know, the cool thing about that, you know, what I, what I try to emphasize is, well, now we can make it whatever you want it to be. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, whatever the issues were that, that led to, you know, the infidelity, hey, we, we can shore those up now. We can talk about them. They're out in the open. So awesome. We can go from here if, if people are willing and able to do that.
1: Okay. And what about some common reasons for um, having affairs?
0: You know, I... In, maybe not
1: reasons, but may, maybe more like reasoning.
0: Reasoning. <laughs> like what is the
1: reasoning
0: behind it? So, you know, I, I've had a big influx lately. And, and so this is just the first one that comes to my mind is um, it seems to occur a lot at the end of a pregnancy or during kind of that first year of, of babyhood. Um, You know, and I think that really is just the focus has shifted. There may be some, you know, physical injuries that aren't allowing for, you know, couples to kind of re-engage at least in the way that they are familiar with. And so, unfortunately, I see a lot happen around that. Um, I think other affairs I've seen, um, you know, at work, You know, that sometimes I think, you know, you, you hear people having a a work wife or a work husband. Um, unfortunately sometimes that can turn into, you know, maybe something more than it should have been, uh, originally. And I don't know that it was even intention that way a lot of times. Um, and I'm sure
1: like stress plays into that. It would seem like
0: totally, you know, I think it's stress. I always hear, I feel like it's either uh, happy hour after work maybe you know they drink a little too much and and things happened you know or work party I've, I've heard of that a couple times
1: um, always with the work parties
0: yeah yeah <laughs> yep, you know because i i suspect it's, it's been under the surface for a while and it just mm-hmm. that gives it an opportunity to kind of pop out um yeah and and i guess you know maybe another way to think of it is it, it if you're familiar with Stan Tatkin, his concept of having thirds, you know, or even triangulation. Right. And, and so I always see whenever there's a, a third that kind of gets wedged into the relationship. Now that could be the baby, that could be work, that could be alcohol or drugs. Um, you know, but anytime there's kind of that wedge put between a couple, it, it sort of creates that opening for, for more to occur. Got it.
1: Got it. Okay. Now, speaking of monogamy, in my experience, monogamy just isn't a good fit for everyone and for a variety of reasons, right? Um, in your experience, what are some reasons that individuals and couples choose polyamory instead?
0: So I think, you know, gosh, I mean, again, it kind of runs the spectrum, but, but just to kind of think of some, what I've seen a lot of, um, well, one, there are those that just crave variety. Um, you know, variety in their sex life and, and maybe, you know, they might have a partner that loves it as well and awesome, you know, then we can open up and, you know, have new experiences. Um, you know, unfortunately sometimes it's, it's more lopsided. Sometimes it's more one than the other. Uh, I've also seen a lot who maybe identify as, as bi or pansexual and aren't able to get all of their needs met with just one person, um, you know, or also those who aren't interested, always in the same kind of sex, you know, you'll, you'll see maybe a discrepancy, for instance, around kink or right. a particular fetish. And, you know, so you'll have maybe, you know, almost like a, a closed relationship sexually, but then one of the partners will want to explore kink and right. you know, their, their sexuality in that way. Um, you know, also I've seen, um, those who are neurodiverse, Um, you know, maybe those who are on the spectrum who aren't as interested in, um, you know, sexual, physical contact, uh, but they, they love the romantic aspects and the mental and emotional intimacy. Um, they, they may have an open relationship where the partner is able to, you know, seek sex elsewhere, um, you know, or maybe they'll be part of a, you know, a polycular or, you know, poly group, um, you know, and then also, you know, for, for asexuality. And, you know, the last thing I see is when, you know, there's a partner maybe for, you know, a physical reason, maybe post menopause um, maybe uh, after surgery and they just, they, they no longer want sex or at least not in the way that their partner wants it. And and so they open up to allow them to, to experience it elsewhere.
1: Okay. Makes a lot of sense. So some, fun words that I'd like to introduce to the audience are the words polycule and throuple. I just yes. I don't know why they, they are just such fun words to say, even for some reason. <laughs> um, can you define those terms for us?
0: Definitely. So um, I usually will let, you know, when I have a, a polygroup, I'll, I'll start with polygroup. And then I'll ask, you know, what would you like me to call you? Do you, do you have a word you like to use? Um, and, you know, sometimes they will use thruple or polycule interchangeably. Um, so I don't want to, you know, stifle anybody's you know, sure, own definition. Sure. Um, but, but in my mind, um, usually uh, when I use the word thruple, it might be uh, for a group of three. And mm-hmm. a polycule, I would usually say a group of four or more. Um, and and that, that's kind of, at least in my mind, but I, I know they, they can certainly be used interchangeably by others, you know, but, but that's just in my mind how it goes.
1: Yeah, totally. That's exactly how I think of it in my head as well. Um, and so we know COVID has been awful for everyone, but it feels like there would be specific ways in which polyamorous individuals are impacted. Um how have you seen people impacted and how are people navigating this space with COVID?
0: So I think it's been really, really tough. Um, you know, I, because a lot of the outlets that used to be available have really been taken away. Um, you know, just for instance, and I think they came back briefly, I think over the summer, you know, some of the companies like Colette and shine. Um, I, Honestly, I'm not sure exactly what's happening at the moment, but I know that they were shut down for a while, you know, as well as, you know, some of the munches. I know there used to be Mm -hmm. one that was at Whole Foods during lunch and, you know, and meetups and all of those closed down and I haven't really seen them fully come back yet. Um, So that's been really tough, Uh, you know, and I was just having this conversation with a a group the other day. Um, So I think that used to be one of the ways a lot of them would meet. And I I think that it's been sort of closed down and now their, their main outlet has really been dating sites. And I I don't know that it's, you know, it's an option, right? At least it's an option. Um, You know, something as like, OkCupid where you can actually put that designation, um, you know, of course, that life. Um, But it's not the same as it was, for sure. And, you know, the other thing I've seen be a big point of conflict um, is for those that are more maybe on the open end, Mm. you know, more like swinging or, you know, kind of more casual sex. Right. Um, That has been very problematic because of COVID, right? You know, the risk of exposure, you know, and the fact that, you know, COVID does Stay in the testes much longer, you know. And well, I would hope that people are, you know, using um, safe sex, right, right. Anyway, but you know, all of that kind of rolled in, you know, has has really created some conflict where you have one couple that's maybe more comfortable, you know, venturing out, and you know, they're if they have a primary partner or you know maybe a spouse who's you know wanting to stay closed down, you know, for fear of COVID. So it's it's created actually quite a bit of conflict i would say
1: it has created quite a bit of conflict i agree with that and i also think that it has even strengthened the necessity of boundaries and communication as if like to me that's the biggest skill somebody needs in order to be successful with open relationships or poly etc um but I think it's especially important now in thinking about the idea of consent as well. Um, and so what I've seen a lot of people do is just stick to their polycule, you know, or, or form a polycule and just only, only see people within that. Um, and I think a lot of people have been pretty um, like pleased with those results, but there's definitely a lot of people out there who are just so unfulfilled. I mean, uh, and I think that speaks uh, a majority of the population right now with the pandemic, just in different ways.
0: Yes, no, I agree completely.
1: So, uh, you know, we talked about Imago earlier and I know you're trained in Imago in addition to sex therapy. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about how you employ your training in these areas with polycules and thruples, for example?
0: Yeah, of course. I I think Imago, you know, when I was I was looking to do an additional couples training, I I really wanted to find one that I could use for my my thruffles and polycules. And, you know, and kind of doing the analysis, I really think Imago is is the best bet because it, it provides, you know, one, a safe space for negotiating the terms you know, the focus is on connection and communication and, you know, empathy. So you can also, you know, focus on sexual empathy. Um, you know, it, it provides everyone a voice. And, you know, I, I went ahead and that is actually, it's funny. I, I did the Imago uh, therapist training first, and then I also did the Imago facilitators training, which is very specific, uh, a specific training that allows, you know, additional learning on how to work with groups how to use a MAGA with groups. And so I, I don't know that this is really a traditional way of applying it, but it's how how I applied it. Um, and I think it works really well. Um, you know, it gives again everyone a chance to really talk, you know, when you're trying to understand, okay, what boundaries are we going to set? It allows everybody a voice, especially because there's usually somebody that is maybe more quiet and might get, you know, kind of tuned out. And, and so that's that's really what I love about it.
1: Oh, cool. You know, earlier we talked about the idea of empathy and Imago, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Can you tell us what sexual empathy is?
0: Yeah, so I the way I would define it is um, sexual empathy is really the ability to remain open and curious. I think that if you can respond with sexual empathy to your partner or partners, it allows the, the sexual energy to really flow into the relationship instead of out of it. And I think it really creates, you know, the possibility that that sexual interests, desires, fantasies, you know, may be able to become a reality, you know, because it allows for that acceptance, lack of, in lack of judgment, really, um, you know, to reduce shame in in all the areas that it can, you know, easily come up in around sex.
1: Can you give us an example of um like a like a back and forth between a couple in which sexual empathy is not reflected and an example in which in in like compared to that like what would having sexual empathy look like you know what i mean
0: yeah no completely um you know i i always use a very stereotypical example of you know maybe the the heterosexual couple that comes in And, you know, instead of using the Imago dialogue, maybe they're just free-forming. And, you know, the husband will say, you know, I really wish, you know, maybe one day, you know, you could, you know, wear something, you know, sexy, right? And and immediately it triggers the wife, you know, it's probably something that they've argued over a million times over, you know. And of course, it's maybe not coming out in the right way either. But, you know, beyond that, you know, And and so she'll say, well, what are you talking about? I work a long day. How can you ask me to have to do this? Right. So there's no interest or curiosity, you know, and and so it can go sideways really quick. Whereas if you add a mago to it, right, the structure of that, um, you know, what would happen is the husband would be talking and the wife's job would really only be to, to receive it and to listen and then just to mirror back what she hears so you know that the way that might go with Imago is he'd say you know I, I really wish maybe you could dress up or we you know and and the wife would mirror it back and say okay I hear you 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 really would like me to dress up can you can you tell me more right and there right in that can you tell me more you you might get to you know something that that really holds some meaning for the two of them So then the husband might be able to say, well, gosh, yeah, I just I remember, you know, when we were first dating, you know, I just loved it so much. I got so excited and you were so beautiful. And now we're talking about something completely different. Right. Right. Now, you know, the wife could say, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I do remember that. That was really fun, you know. Um, and, And so it doesn't immediately devolve into into an argument, it allows it to, to go a little further. And I think sometimes if you can pause and allow it to go a little further, all of a sudden, you know, you're having a real conversation about something that matters as opposed to a surface argument, you know, around frustrations.
1: Right, right, got it, good example. Um, can you give us an example of maybe two to three imago-based strategies that can assist in creating greater sexual empathy?
0: Yeah, you know, I think the simple act of mirroring, right? So when your partner's talking, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll ask them to enroll, you know, and so they know that, okay, we're going to dialogue and I use dialogue as opposed to conversation just so they know, okay, I just need to listen right now. And, you know, when you're discussing anything vulnerable around sex, such as a fantasy, or even something as simple as just how you want to be touched, you know, um, allowing your partner just to mirror back what they heard. Say, okay, I I heard you want me to touch you a little softer. You know, um, there's nothing that can be misconstrued. There's no shame involved. It's just listening. So I Mm -hmm. think, you know, especially when, you know, you're sort of reacquainting yourself sexually, maybe after, you know, something like, breast cancer or an affair, you know, mirroring back what you need is, is one of the best techniques you can use. Um, you know, I also, you know, I know I mentioned this earlier, but I, I can't say it enough, just asking permission, you know, is, is now a good time to have this conversation. You know, I, I think that saves so much trouble, you know, and, and just getting that, you know, okay, pause, think, yes, Yes. Now's a good time. Um, and I, I would say those are probably the two techniques I think that work for nearly everything, you know, whether it's couples communication or communication around sex, anything that, that has that potential for being, you know, shame filled or, um, you know, maybe a hot button topic.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay, great. That was really helpful. Thank you. Um, now, the next couple of questions, I know we could do a whole podcast on this, um, but just kind of giving us the, like, basics, and I know that's asking a lot for you to little that down there, um, but can you speak to the physical and psychological impacts and effects of breast cancer on sex and intimacy?
0: Yeah, so, you know, the physical effects can occur in a lot of different ways, um, You know, one is the, you know, either partial mastectomy, you know, full mastectomy, you know, um, if, if your breasts were used, you know, if they were big in arousal or in sex and they're taken away, you know, that, that can be really pretty traumatic, you know, then in addition to that, if you have, you know, chemo, it it can uh, cause the cells to sort of die off and, you know, can cause, you know, dryness, you know, tearing. So you want to make sure you get, you know, the two different types of lubes, you know, I usually recommend Um, one more water-based that can be moisturizing, uh, another maybe more silicone-based that might be, um, you know, for for more sexual penetration. Um, Same thing with radiation, you know, radiation can cause scarring. And you know that scarring, you might need might need to use a dilator, or you know maybe depending on um, the type of trauma, you know maybe a vibration or not a vibration. It, it really depends on on what's happened. Um, you know then of course uh, estrogen blockers, right? That, that's a pretty common treatment for for people with breast cancer is that hormone therapy, which can immediately throw you into a pretty harsh menopause, which affects. Again, lubrication, potential wasting, um, you know, and all of that feeds into the psychological, you know, the psychological moving through, you know, sadness, anger, grief, despair, shame, you know, kind of everything at once sometimes. Um, and, you know, another thing I see a lot is oftentimes those that are, are going through it may have been a caretaker. And, learning to allow others to take care of them and how does that change the dynamic, you know, within their romantic relationship, you know, if, if now, you know, they're, they're being taken care of, can the caretaker still see you sexually, you know, it it brings up a lot, you know, as well as feeling alone. And that's why I do a lot of work with groups. I say, you know, your best resource, you know, are other women, you know, other people going through this, um, so that you're not alone. Um, you know, and those feelings of being betrayed by your body, you know, that can be really tough, you know, especially when you're wanting to be intimate and, and having that, that betrayal, you know, how do you trust your own body? How do you trust yourself? Um, you know, but there's a lot of work you know, that can be done around that. But, but those are just some, you know, the physical and the psychological, I feel like they cross a lot.
1: Yeah. That sounds like a lot. Um, And I know you mentioned some strategies, but what are some ways or some things that can help in mitigating some of those physical and psychological impacts?
0: You know, therapy for sure. You know, I say, get yourself an individual therapist and there, there are quite a few who have gone through, similar ordeals. And, you know, I, I think they can be an amazing resource, but, you know, maybe a, a therapist who's trained in grief or medical trauma would, would probably be a good selection. Um, I know EMDR is specifically recommended if, um, you know, there was a, I, I know that it is, there could be trauma around hearing you have breast cancer. So that moment when, when you're told, sometimes uh, there can need to be some EMDR work around that um, you know, or, you know, after, after the biopsy hearing, maybe that it's worse, you know, any of that, you know, can, can all kind of feed into it. Um, so I think individual work. And then I would say that there are a lot of really good nonprofit organizations. Um, you know, one that I've worked with for the girls, um, it's based out of Williamsburg. They, they cater to women all over the country. They are a great resource. I know there's also one in Austin um, I'm gonna blank on the name right this second so I'm, I feel bad about that but um, but there there are quite a few out there and I would say reach out to them because they're an amazing resource and then you know a lot of a lot of times through there you can connect with other women going through you know the same stage as you are depending where you are in the process um, and, and so I think really you heal a lot through connection you know, uh, not keeping it in. And then, you know, of course, finding somebody who is familiar with breast cancer, who can maybe help you with, uh, a low level exercise regime. I I think that can really help kind of get you back on track, trusting your body, you know, a nutritionist, depending on what kind of, you know, cancer, what it's showing, um, you know, all of those people, I think can be, can be really helpful. And, you know, then adding in self-care, you know, if, if a massage would feel good. I always, you know, tell my clients going through that, ask themselves each day, what would feel good to you right now? You know, and, and it might change, you know, maybe it would be, gosh, I would love a smoothie. Okay, give that to yourself. You know, another day it might be, you know, I need to stay in bed. You know, I just need to stay in bed today. Uh, I know radiation can cause fatigue up to a year. And if you're experiencing that fatigue, let yourself rest. Give that to yourself, you know, just like you would give it to a daughter or a mother or a girlfriend, you know. Um, And so I think all of those things can sort of help in healing through that process.
1: Okay. Um. Now, I know we barely scratched the surface of the work that you do um, because, you know, there's, there's a lot to, to the type of work that you do. Um, but is there anything else that you would like to say about sex therapy that we haven't talked about or that I didn't ask?
0: Gosh, um- you know, I, I didn't talk a lot about my kink clients. I I definitely enjoy them as well. And I I feel like they're a big part of the community. Um, so I just, uh, I want to mention them as well. And, you know, I, I that's the
1: question that I forgot to include. I had one, I had written one down for myself to include in this, and I forgot the question about kink. (laughs) Sure.
0: No, that's okay. Um, yeah. Um,
1: So, so one thing I know that a lot of people have trouble with regularly is what is the difference between a kink and a fetish? Um, Sure. I see so many people getting the two confused constantly. So if you could give us some
0: um, like
1: differences and similarities, that'd be helpful.
0: So the way I conceptualize it is, is a kink is more of a a nice to have. It, It can kind of fluctuate. So, so maybe one day you know, we do a little bondage the next day, you know, maybe some spanking, you know, it, it's, it's more fluid, it's more flexible, whereas a fetish um, is something that's really needed, you know, for that person to have the sexual experience, um, you know, and what that might look like, um, you know, is, you know, just an easy one, a foot fetish right? right. Yeah. Um, you know, that for that person to enjoy their sexual experience, there needs to be a foot component to it. And, right. and so basically uh, a fetish is really inflexible. It, it's something that's almost required. Um, whereas a kink, like I said, is more nice to have, you know, and it can, it can kind of move in its nature of how it shows up.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a good explanation. That makes a lot of sense. Um, now, you know you mentioned like a a foot fetish, for example. Yeah. Um, what are some of the most common fetishes that you see out of curiosity?
0: You know one I've been seeing a lot of even in couples that you would never expect it um. Is actually choking, which can be that's very big right now. (laughs) Yeah, I was gonna say, I and I'm not sure maybe where it stems from. Um, maybe porn is one theory I've heard, um, kind of floated around, but um, I always when I when I hear that I go, oh my gosh, okay, we really need to talk because it, it, you know, it can be potentially dangerous. Um, so you know, I what I want to make sure is like, okay, well, if you're choking, do you have? something other than a safe word, you know? So what I might say is like, okay, can we cough three times, you know, if this is becoming problematic or is there another way that we can communicate just to make sure that if there is an issue or maybe it's no longer feeling good, right. If it starts to feel scary that you have a way to alert your partner. Okay. Let's take a pause, you know? And, and so that's one Um, I think, bondage, I'm seeing a lot more of too. Um, and so, so again, you know, I just say, well, if, you know, there's anything going on with the mouth, I want to make sure that you have another way to kind of tap out or, you know, alert your partner, um, you know, and, you know, anything more extreme, I say, well, you know, beginning, middle and end, let's just kind of make sure we, we script it almost like uh, in d You know, you right, know, yeah, yeah. Going. Um, so
1: you, you're playing the scene.
0: That's exactly right. And, and so I, I think those are probably the two big ones I, I see pretty regularly is, is the choking and the bondage.
1: Okay. How about, um, like, there are so many kinks in the world. Um, like, I mean, millions, really, if you really <laughs> want to get down to it. But, like, what, what do you see common these days Um you know, do you notice that thing that these things come in like fads or like, is it influenced by media? And like, just what are your thoughts overall around it?
0: Yeah. You know, I think especially for couples that aren't already in the kink community, it's for sure coming through media. And, and I think, um, you know, some of the TV shows you see, or for sure, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey back then when that came yeah. out. Um, you know, now I think, yeah, media, trends and porn, any of that, I think at least creates that curiosity that allows people to want to experiment. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say for sure.
1: Um, now, there there are all sorts of communities in Austin. I know there's a rope community I know there's a BDSM community. Um, What other communities are out there just so people know that they exist?
0: Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, Well, like there's uh, bigs and littles, you know, those that like to kind of role play, um, Mm -hmm. you know. Age play. Age age play. Exactly. Um, You know, another one um, I've been hearing more about is... um, i am blanking on the the fetish now but the the smothering um you know feeling like you're being smothered by a giant mm-hmm. that's it i guess kind of, yeah. kind of giant giant play um you know and and really just you you've got your kind of run of the mill dungeons too for those that are wanting to right. really get into more fetish uh and an in, in interest play if if that if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah totally and there's so many, I mean, there's furries, there's, oh. you know, so many, so many different things out there. Um, I just wanted to mention some of those things on the show today because, you know, people hear kink and fetish, but don't always know what to put with what, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no. And hot wifing is one I've been seeing a lot more in Texas. So there's definitely a very yeah. big hot wifing community kind of beneath the surface, Um I, I don't think it's too hard to find, but but I know um, there are even some some parties where that is kind of a primary focus.
1: Okay, cool. Um, okay, so thank you for reminding me about that. Sure. Um, so switching gears a little bit to you as a therapist. Sure. What, what kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients such as those are? who are transgender, undocumented, or, or BIPOC, to name a few examples?
0: You know, I, I've always had a pretty diverse clientele. Um, I, I do a lot of work um, around identities, so that naturally tends to lend itself towards those, you know, who are questioning their sexuality or, or gender. So, you know, transgender, um, those that may be fluid, maybe those that are on the asexual spectrum, also, um, my BIPOC clients, um, I, think, I think because I, I, honestly, I'm not even sure why, but I, maybe because I spend a lot of time in New York City, I, I seem to get a lot of um, you know, BIPOC clients that, that feel comfortable um, with me, as, as well as, I would say, um, poly clients. I, I work with a lot of poly clients that maybe have had a therapist before finding me. And I'm always kind of shocked at the judgment and, you know, totally. pathologizing. I mean, really the pathologizing that goes on, um, it actually really upsets me when they, when that comes in, um, you know, same thing around, uh, any sort of kink or flourish, you know, I, I think there's a lot of misinformation. Um, you know, I also think that I, hate to even say this but sometimes those that maybe work from a religious background it doesn't allow for a lot of openness in some of these areas and and so they can have experienced a lot of judgment when they've been most vulnerable um and so i i'm always happy to to work with anyone that's experienced that and and hopefully give them a new experience something that you know allows them to really be who they are who they
1: are. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, So, you know, a lot of times before somebody makes an appointment or after they make an appointment, then people get nervous about a first session with a new therapist. So what could a new client expect from an initial session with you? And what about on an ongoing basis?
0: So usually in in my initial sessions, I, I really just want to get to know you and get to know what you're looking for, what you're wanting to work through, kind of what your goals are. Um, And so, you know, the first session, I I really will let them do a lot of talking uh, just so I can get a feel for them. And, you know, then I'll save maybe 10, 15 minutes at the end if they have any questions for me or if they want, you know, some information about maybe how I might conceptualize or work with their case.
1: Got it, got it. Yeah. And on an ongoing basis, like, like, do you generally structure your sessions or like, is it, or, you know, just tell me more about your style and approach there.
0: Yeah, so it usually, um, whether it's individual, couple, thruple, polycule, um, I, I, when they first come in, uh, you know, once we get going, um, unless we've talked ahead of time about something specific we're going to be dialoguing about or working on. Um, I, want to meet them where they are that day and just say, Hey, you know, how was your last week? What's been going on? Is there anything immediate that we need to address? So what that might look like, um, with a couple say that they've had a big blowout, you know, maybe even right before coming in, you know, we might jump into a frustration dialogue before it starts to devolve or, um, you know, if it's an individual, like I, I've had a couple. Pets pass away this last week. And so, you know, it's turned into so more awful. of a Yeah, yeah, I know. I was just like, gosh, what is going on? Um, but you know, we'll we'll do a grief session, you know, we'll we'll put everything else on hold and address what's immediately in the room. Um, you know, barring that, you know, say everything's been good, we've had a pretty good week, or there's nothing really big that's come up, then um you know, we'll, we'll start to do some some bigger work, right, maybe addressing some of the bigger issues they came in for. Um, so, you know, if, if it's someone who's been you know, questioning their gender identity, you know, we might jump in. OK, well, how 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 is this developed? How were you seen when you were younger? Is that oh, that didn't feel good? OK, well, what would feel good now? And so we start to kind of do a little bit more analysis, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and then we might work up, um, I, I do get homework, uh, not always, but, but sometimes, you know, say, you know, for that client that is wanting to, you know, experiment with gender, I'll say, well, well, let's find some, some people you admire, maybe on Instagram or in the media and, and let's, you know, see what look, you know, what you like and let's try it on, you know, and, and see how you feel in that and, you know, maybe start at home you know, you know, playing with makeup or, you know, whatever it is and, and go from there. So, so we'll do some analysis and then, okay, how do we thread that into the next week?
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. Very cool. I'm a big fan of homework too. <laughs> very good. So um, I really like this next question and it's so hard, but how would you say your clients would describe or experience you?
0: Oh gosh, I think it probably depends on the client. You know, I it's interesting. I was talking about this with a a client. She was really wanting to work on relationships. And and so maybe this is a little Freudian, but I say, you know, in a way your your therapist becomes who you need them to be for whatever it is you're working on. So I think, you know, for some clients, maybe I show up as a mom, you know, other clients a big sister or maybe a best friend. Um you know, it, it really depends. And if I can kind of get a sense, I'm, I'm happy to kind of facilitate some of that because I want to, I, my hope is that it helps them heal so they can take that relationship and apply it in the real world.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah. Now, are you a therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients?
0: Yes, I, I definitely will laugh. I, I, I try to hold space. Um, I, it's funny. I will definitely cry after session, but I I usually I might tear up, but I I usually won't actively cry because I, I want to give that to them. Um, I don't I don't really know what the right answer is there, but I don't know that there is one.
1: There um, isn't one, and this this question like has has garnished all sorts of responses. So uh, there is no right answer. That's that's the gray that we work in, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, and I think it also. Depends really on what they're needing. If, if it feels like it's okay and that would be helpful, I I, I might allow myself to go there. Um, but I think usually I just want to hold the space in case, you know, they're needing more uh, stability. And But again, it, it really is a case-by-case basis on that. But, but laughing, yeah, I think I have a pretty dark sense of humor. Um, so I, I'm happy to, to follow you wherever that goes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, now, one of my favorite questions is How do you define holding space for someone?
0: You know, I would define that as meeting them where they're at um, and allowing them to just be in whatever state they need at that moment. Um, you know, that could be crying, that could be, you know, laughing about something, that could be, you know, letting them get really angry. And you know, I feel like, especially with couples, you know, I always, I always joke sometimes I, I keep an extra sweater around, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, if, if they need to yell, I, I might get, you know, nervous myself and, and I'll, I'll swap out the sweater later. Um, but, you know, I, I just want to let them express what they need to express because I think most of the day we don't have that freedom, you know, uh, especially in kind of the society we live in. It's not really okay to express the emotion that often really needs to come out, especially right now with COVID, you know, totally um, agree. you know, anger, sadness, fear, whatever it is. And, and so I just want to let them have that in session.
1: Cool. Yeah. Everybody says something different about that question, but we all mean the same thing. And I think it's so cool to see everybody's different answers. Yeah. Um, so the next question is, what is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor? Could be any supervisor of any type.
0: You know, I think it was, um, probably Claudia. She, she recommended with couples doing breakout sessions early. So, um, like with my couples now, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll do the individual session, get to know you understand kind of where you're at. And then I'll, I'll do those breakout sessions and, What I do there is I'll take a family history as well as a relationship and sexual history. And I feel like that really gives me kind of a roadmap to understand each individual and to kind of look ahead, especially in couples work and see, Ooh, okay, what, what, what might we bump into here? And so that I can kind of have that in mind as we move forward. And, and I think, you know, also it gives the client and opportunity really early on if there is something going on beneath the surface um you know like i've I've had one revelation um you know a lot of affairs right that that may come out right then like oh okay great now i know this is going to come up right away it it kind of pushes it forward um another one um you know i've had some pretty crazy confessionals you know one uh, one woman confessed you know, that, that she really thinks she's gay and that's why she doesn't get aroused and yet she's been married for quite a while, right? Um, and, and so things like that, like, oh, okay. And is there a way for us to bring that out in session? But I, I think that's the best piece of advice is doing those breakout sessions early. And, and then again, if you get stuck, you know, if you're just not getting any movement in a couple and you, you can't really figure out why, great. That's another time to do those. And and I think that's the best piece of advice I've gotten kind of, uh, especially in couples work.
1: Yeah. I definitely see the value in that for sure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What have you personally learned about yourself and or the world through your
0: practice? Gosh, I think what have I learned about myself? Um, it's interesting. You know, I, I lived in New York City for a long time and there everyone always said, oh, you're you're from Texas. You're conservative. And then I moved back to ca- Texas and everyone says, oh, my gosh, you're you're way out there. You're incredibly <laughs> and, and I just think, well, it really depends on where you're at, you know, how you get characterized. Um, but I do think um, I'm probably a lot more open than most people. I I, I guess I have learned that. Um and I think that's only increased with with my work. Um, it, it's made me even more open. Um, and I, I guess I I really love good people. <laughs> I guess that's another thing. I, I really love people. I uh, maybe those that are cruel. I I don't know that I love them quite as much. But um, <laughs> you know, And yeah, now I feel like I undo a lot of their harm. Um, And and what have I I learned about the world in my work? Um, Gosh, everyone has a whole lot of shame and they're walking around, you know, (laughs) and, and I just want to tell them, man, whatever it is, it's normal. I promise you think it's strange, but it's really not. It it may feel strange to you, but it's really not. It's, you know, especially in the the sexual arena, I, I feel like, you know, there is no normal. There really isn't. And you know what people show on the surface, you know, they're just not telling you what goes on behind closed doors or you know in, in their own mind. Um, so that that's that's probably what I've learned about the world is
1: uh, I agree with that totally. So much shame.
0: Yep, exactly. yep. Yeah.
1: So say you've had a long day of seeing clients. What is the one thing you absolutely have to do every day to take care of yourself?
0: Gosh, you know, I, I build in a lot of mindlessness at the end of the day. Um, you know, lately, um, I don't know if it's just cause of COVID. So I'm going to admit my guilty pleasure. Um, occasionally we will watch, uh, something like bachelor in paradise and analyze the relationship <laughs> dynamics. My, my partner is also, um, uh in the therapy world. So we, we kind of nerd out and and then we order a whole bunch of DoorDash. Sometimes we'll order from two or <laughs> places and just eat the worst things in the world just because it's been a tough day. Um you know otherwise maybe I'll I'll do a salt bath sometimes. Um but yeah you know trying to make it light and fun maybe playing flu with the kiddos. um you know yeah just just keeping it Light.
1: And easy, it sounds like. Not complicated.
0: Exactly. Light and easy. Exactly. Ordering DoorDash. (laughs) You know, not, you know, so I can just go sit in my chair and hang out with family or friends. You know, a lot of times we'll have some friends over and, you know, maybe maybe not so much right now, but you know, split maybe a bottle of wine um, and again order the food and just yeah, just decompress.
1: Okay, very cool. How would you define happiness?
0: Oh, gosh, that is a tricky one. Um, You know, I think it's really living in the, maybe living in the present moment, experiencing those and the world around you and letting it be. Um, And I think, you know, happiness can kind of look and feel across a broad spectrum because I think you can be, you know, say happy, sad, or, you know, maybe even happy, mad. Um, and, and so it's really the only thing I would say across the board is is being in that present moment and just allowing yourself to experience.
1: Yep. Yeah. I think that's a, a big thing that I think we all struggle with is being present, staying in the present moment. I mean, because that's where the good stuff is really at, you
0: know? No, I agree. Because if your mind is elsewhere, you know, worrying about the past or worrying about what's going to happen in the future, you're missing. You're missing out. You're missing out on what's in front of you. And everything else is either has already happened or it hasn't happened yet. So, you know, the way you can kind of work through both of those is, is again, just by, by being present, by allowing yourself to just, sit in wherever the experience is, whether it's good Mm -hmm. or bad, really, you know? Right. Or however you define that, you
1: know? Right. Yeah. 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 And even though something may be, like, subjectively bad feeling in the, like, overarching theme of our life, it may be a good thing. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. The present moment is, is something I'm always trying to adjust to and stay in because like, I think if we can't stay in the present moment, then we're going to miss all the good things that do come our way, you know?
0: Yeah. Now, and I think it's also gratitude, right? Being able to have gratitude for the people around you and the experiences you're having, you know, even if it's something as simple as, yay, I got to order chilies on DoorDash, (laughs) you know, it's just gratitude that I get to have that in the moment. Um, And I know that's, very simple, and you know, just a, a silly and
1: experiment. so like pop psychology, you know. But but there is a lot of truth to it.
0: Yeah, um, that's it. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we're down to two more questions. Both are a little vulnerable. Okay. The first one is, what is the most embarrassing moment you have had as a clinician to
0: date? Oh my gosh! So I've had a few. Um, but I think the one I i run into probably more than I would like to. I, I have a kind of like dyslexia, but it's called dyscalculia for, for oh yeah, yeah. And scheduling. And oh my gosh, the worst. I remember I was I was working at CAC um, and oh my gosh, the scheduling it was it was so uh, narrow. and every time I would try to put in an appointment, I would somehow mess it up and I would have to go back to the very sweet secretary and say, I'm so sorry, I, I entered this wrong. Can you delete it for me so I can re-enter it? And this would happen probably at least three times a day when I was there. And, you know, I still, I always tell my clients, like, if, if anything ever looks off, oh my gosh, please check with me. I, I try to you know, and so what I try to do now, I just try to do it while I'm on the phone or on a session with them and I'll I'll say it out loud as I enter it. And that way they can correct me if I, if I somehow do it incorrectly, but that, that I feel like, oh, oh, I always get embarrassed by that because I, yeah, old academic wounding perhaps.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's hard. That's really rough. But I do the same thing with my clients. I make them stay in session with me, even if we are over time, if we're setting another appointment, I need to get on my schedule because I will forget and yeah. it has happened.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep.
1: Uh, okay. Now the next vulnerable question here is, are you in therapy or have you ever been in therapy?
0: Oh, yes. I have been in therapy for many, many years. Um a funny story, actually, the, the first time I went to therapy was was actually when I was at Columbia and, you know, going teaching there and they they recommended it for everybody. I guess there had been a, a couple of suicides the year before I got there. And and I yeah, I, just, I didn't really know much about it other than I'd always been kind of interested in it. And and that's kind of what what got my foot in the door. And, you know, then I've, I've tried to always keep a therapist pretty much since then I, I may have gone maybe a year or two without, um, you know, if I was between or moving or something like that. But I think, um, especially as a therapist, I, I think you should be in therapy and I, I don't know that's I and now I'm shooting people, but I, I think, you know, it's, it's healthy. I, I think it keeps, it keeps you clear. It holds you accountable. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'll regret saying should later, but.
1: Um... No, I'm right there with you. I, I could never trust a therapist that has not done therapy themselves because how, how are you to understand what it is your clients experiencing? You know what I mean?
0: Exactly. The whole process. I agree completely with you. Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, Sarah, is there anything else you think would be good for potential clients or other therapists to know about you?
0: Gosh, You know, I think, um, as far as clients, I am more than happy to work with whomever comes in my door in whatever form and whatever shape, you know, whatever relationship or, or no relationship. I am happy to meet you where you are. Um, as far as therapists and other clinicians, doctors, um, I really do enjoy collaborating. Uh, that's actually why I went the, the MFT route. Um, and I, you know, I haven't been doing it that long and I, I really look forward to meeting more of you. Um, I really, I really love the field and, you know, I think there's just so much to learn. Um, Always. <laughs> so, so, yeah, in, in other words, I, I have an open door for, for clients and clinicians.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Sarah.
0: Well, thank you. It was, uh, it was fun. The next question
1: Thank you for listening to next quest podcast i learned something new today and i hope you did too stay tuned for our episode next week featuring katie bruce licensed clinical social worker supervisor who will be talking about her work in practice with an episode titled the melted ice cream of being a person next quest podcast is sponsored by jan Dimmitt resources save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at jan Dimmitt resources do what they do best For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com, that is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T dot com, or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. Next Quest Podcasts relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon.com/slash Next Quest Podcast. Or you can make a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com/slash About Next Quest Podcast. You can also support the podcast by liking our Facebook page. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.